driving force behind Catholicism Wow, Cardinal Glick. Thank you, thank you. Now we all know how the majority and the media in this country view the Catholic Church. They think of us as a passé, archaic institution. People find the Bible obtuse, even hokey. Now, in an effort to disprove all that, the Church has appointed this year as a time of renewal, both of faith and of style. For example, the crucifix. While it has been a time-honored symbol of our faith, Holy Mother Church has decided to retire this highly recognizable, yet wholly depressing image of our Lord crucified. Christ didn't come to earth to give us the willies. He came to help us out. He was a booster. And it's with that take on our Lord in mind that we come up with a new, more inspiring sigil. So, it is with great pleasure that I present you with the first of many revamps the Catholicism Wild campaign will unveil over the next year. I give you the Buddy Christ. That's not the sanctioned term we're using for the symbol, just something we've been kicking around the office. But look at it. Doesn't it pop Buddy Christ? All right, all right, all right. If you have any letters, send them my way. Actually, don't even send me a letter. Come and talk to me personally. I have a tough skin, and you can, you can dish it out. I can take it. It's sad to say, but I know that's... Uh, you know, it's kind of making fun. But a lot of Christians, whether they want to admit it or not, they picture Jesus sort of like that. Okay, and let me explain. You know, they picture, they picture the Son of God as, as their buddy, you know? You know, they're, they're very quick to mention their friendship with, with God and, and with Jesus when they put on the back burner, you know, his, his holiness and his, his power and his complete otherness. And the fact of the matter is, it's, it's way too easy to think that way. It's way too easy to think of, of, of God as only our Redeemer and our Savior and our friend and forget that he's, he's the only all-powerful God. You know, and don't get me wrong. He, Christ is our friend. God is our friend theologically, you know, meaning that, you know, the Bible says that once we were enemies of God, but because of, uh, of the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are now welcomed into his presence. But Jesus is not our average friend. You know, he's not our equal and like I said, it, it's really easy to fall into this trap of thinking of Jesus as, as this blonde-haired, blue-eyed wimp that is ready to address our every beck and call. And why? Well, I believe, I believe it, makes, it makes everything easier. It makes our, our journey with God easier. It's way easy, uh, you know, instead of being challenged to to be conformed into God's image, into the, the image of Jesus Christ, his son, we can just simply be ourselves and, and do whatever we want because, you know what, God loves us and will accept us as we are anyway, which, of course, is true to a point. He welcomes us 
But once we join his family, you know, there's, there's some work to do. Just a couple weeks ago, I was reminded of, of truly how powerful our God is. You know, we were over, Leslie and I were over at, at Lloyd and Lorna's apartment for dinner, and, and, you know, we spent a lot of time, you know, eating and, and, and talking with each other, but we also spent a lot of time just looking out the window because it was the night of, of that big storm. Remember that? Just a couple weeks ago, right? You see, it, it started to rain out, but it wasn't your average normal rain. The sky, it went as dark as night, and, and the wind blew as hard as I've seen it blow all summer long. You know, and, and Lloyd and Lorna's apartment, if you've been there, it, it's on a corner, right? So, so they've got big windows, and you can see in two different directions. We were watching the storm from the north and the west, if I'm correct. Yes, I'm correct. Uh, which is exactly where the storm was coming from. And they have a fire hall just across the street. You can see it from their apartment. And when that storm hit, you couldn't even see it. It was so dark. And there's this little tree sitting right outside their window. And it's like you could see it hanging on for dear life as it's bent right over because of this wind. It was absolutely incredible. Come to find out later, you know, we're watching the news and we hear about all these twisters that were spotted all over the GTA. And some real major damage had been done. And after watching the news and and seeing what these storms had done, it it triggered my mind immediately to to this storm that that hit Camp Kakwa when I was up there a couple years ago. I was up there to lead uh, worship for a week. And and sometime in in the middle of of one of the nights during the week, I I was awakened by this, this pounding rain. Now, I was staying in this building, and the, the roof was made of, I think it's made of tin, and it was so loud. It woke me up. And so I got up, and, and after I went and did what you do when you wake up, I, I go to the window, right? I go to the window to see what's going on outside. And it, it was nighttime, so I couldn't see much, but I could see this tree right outside. And it was a big tree. And this thing was, it was being beat up, just blown by the wind and battered by the rain. And the thunder, the thunder roared like a lion so much. I tried to get back to sleep, but it it just wasn't happening. And right away, that night, I thought of this psalm that I once read. This psalm where David, he, he wrote a poem under very similar circumstances. And Psalm 29 is a beautiful example of, of Hebrew poetry. And as we'll read, the psalm, it sweeps along with all the freedom and majesty of a storm. And you'll find that there's, there's, there's sort of a, a rhythmic triumph going on in this storm. Just a, a glorious abandon, and a, a courageous exaltation of the Lord Yahweh. But before we read it, I, I just want to let you know a couple things, okay? Because when it comes to Hebrew poetry... You know, it's a little different from what we're used to when it comes to poetry. You know, when it comes to poetry, we're, we just try to rhyme things, right, and make it sound good. You know, we'll say, like, I'm a, I'm a smoker, I'm a joker, I'm a Wall Street broker, or something like that. We try to say something, but, but in Hebrew poetry, you know, the rules are a little different. And although sometimes they would rhyme in Hebrew, the writers would, would rather just use 
more expressive wording to convey their thoughts and sometimes emphasize a thought by repeating it over and over again, describing that thought in more and more detail. And that's what's called parallelism for all you uh, literature buffs out there. What they did was they would repeat a thought in a different way and generally amplify it and enlarge it as they went along. And another thing I want you to know is what we're going to talk about here is, is what a theophany is. It's a pretty big word, but a theophany, it's really simple. All it is is an appearance of, of a deity or a god in a visible form to a human. That's all it is. You know, an easy example to remember is uh, the burning bush appeared to Moses. Remember that? God appeared to Moses in, in the form of a burning bush. Textbook theophany right there. So, as we dive into this action-packed thriller that displays the power of Yahweh, I want you to put, we're going to play a game here. I want you to put yourself in David's shoes, okay? Okay, first of all, you're, you're David, right? And, and you're chilling in your palace, right? Because you're the king, right? You're the king. So there you are, just hanging out in your palace on Mount Zion, and, and you're walking down a big hall, and and there's all these windows in this hall, and you walk by one of the windows, and just out of the corner of your eye, you see this flash, this flash right in the distance, off to the northeast, or northwest. You see it right away. You give it your total attention. You've seen that before. I mean, you're David, right? You're an outdoorsman. You spent plenty of time out in the fields guarding your, your father's sheep, right? You love thunderstorms, so right away... All your attention is fixed on that. Okay. And you notice that sky. The sky to the northwest. It's totally dark. You see it rolling in. Oh, and you get those goosebumps. Oh, you know it's coming. And then you hear it. You hear the rolling thunder. Can you hear it? Right away, when you hear that thunder, you're filled with this sense of awe before, before your creator, Yahweh. And because of who you are, you search frantically for a pen. You've got something in your heart you want to get out. And you write these words. Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. You see the power of God in this storm, and you demand that everyone worship Yahweh. You command the heavenly beings, the angels, and all the pagan gods to give Yahweh the glory that he alone deserves. Because you see, before, before the exile, it, it wasn't uncommon for for people to believe that other gods did exist, but Yahweh, Yahweh was boss. You heard it again. You heard that thunder crack again. You pick up your pen and you write this. You say, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. 
The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon leap like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the yokes and strips the forest bare. And all in his temple cry, glory. Wow. As we're watching this thunderstorm march across the Mediterranean. And it just crashes onto the shores of Lebanon and invades the mountain ranges. And you don't just hear average thunder. You hear the voice of the Lord. You hear the voice of Yahweh, the most powerful and majestic thing you've ever heard in your life. And the violent winds dance with the mighty cedars until the trees are, are forced to give in to the pressure and they snap like twigs. And the thunder booms so loud, it vibrates the ground so much that you'd swear it was an earthquake. And the land of Lebanon, it, it seems to leap like a calf as the storm moves southward. And the land of Syrian appears to jump like a young wild ox. And the storm, it, it continues to ravage the land and moves south until you realize, uh-oh, you're right in the path. So what do you do? You put the pen down right away, and you take cover. And you're hiding out, and you hear the rain pouring on the roof. You hear it so loud, you can barely hear yourself think, because this is no ordinary rain here. I mean, if, if Gilligan and the skipper were out in this, that minnow, it's lost. You know what I'm saying? And then once the storms move past, you rush to the other side of the palace. You rush to the south side of the palace to watch it go away. It travels over the barren desert of Kadesh. It takes no prisoners. Flash goes the lightning. Crack goes the thunder. And you imagine right away, what's going on in heaven right now? And you picture everyone there bowing down before the throne crying out, glory, glory. During that thunderstorm at Camp Kakwa, I was immediately reminded of the power of God. Because as the rain pounded on that tin roof, it was so loud, I, I couldn't get back to sleep, you know? And I couldn't help but think of the voice of the Lord in the psalm. Almost demanding. The Lord made his voice known and his power, his power known as the thunderstorm just ravaged the land. And as we woke up the next morning, I'll never forget this, because maintenance workers, all the guys on crew, they're running all over the place trying to clean up, right? You know, they're, they're, they're digging out the ditches that were totally eroded and, and, and those that were on lifeguard duty, they had to, they had to rebuild the, the beach. You know, they're out in the water with the shovels and bringing the sand back on land. You know, they're working their tails off trying to fix the damage that was done. It was pretty, it was pretty fun to watch, actually. <laughs> and there were these logs that, I don't know where they were before, but they washed up on the, on the waterfront in the morning. 
but back to you, back to you in David's shoes, okay? Okay, so you watched, you watched it fade away into the distance down south. And you decide, I'm going to take a walk around and see what this storm did. I'm going to see the damage that, that was probably done by all these gusting winds, okay? So you go outside and you see branches that, you know, they used to be high up in the tree and now they're all over the place. And you watch, you watch all your loyal subjects uh, at a safe distance. You know, they're, they're going to their neighbor's yards and picking up their lawn furniture and bringing it back, you know, just scattered all around. And all around you, you see huge puddles, puddles so big. You see one that's so big, you, you consider naming it Lake Jerusalem. That's how big it is. And you notice in the landscape, you see that symbol of God's promise. You see a beautiful rainbow in the distance. And right away you think of, hey, I know this story. I heard this story so many times growing up. You think about that time when, when humankind was judged for their evil ways, but one man and his family were spared. You think of how it once rained for 40 days and 40 nights, but after the rain stopped, Noah must have walked outside just like you and thought the same thoughts you're thinking right now. And in the calm after the storm, you write these words. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. Amen to that. And it's nice to, you know, to take this psalm and and put it to a story, right? It's... It's easy to hear that way, but, okay, why does this matter? What can we take away from this, you know, this, this big thunderstorm here? Well, i got a couple things for you here. And here's the first one. God is in control. God is in control of the storms, okay? God is in control of the natural storms that take place. You know, there's so many places in Scripture that support this. You can take a look at... at Genesis 7, the flood we just talked about. And Jonah, remember Jonah in the flood, he gets thrown overboard. Uh, Acts 27, Paul in this, this huge tempest, and, and they, they get shipwrecked, right? And Mark 4, that's my favorite. Mark 4 is my favorite because that's where Jesus proves his authority over the storm. Remember that when the disciples are scared, terrified, and they wake Jesus up? And he's not scared at all. And he stands up takes a look at the storm and just says, stop! And it stops. And they're completely blown away by the authority this man has. You know, as, as much as it bothers us, God has his hands on these natural storms. He created them. But not only that, but God is is in control. He has his hands on the storms in your life. And you know what I mean by that, don't you? You know what I mean by the storms in your life. You know, when, when it seems that your sky is so dark, you can't see the fire hall across the street. When it feels like everywhere you go, there's a dark cloud overhead. Or even when All you see is blue skies. And then out of the blue, tragedy strikes without warning. 
when it seems that God is at his absolute farthest, listen here. He's right there. He's right there. Check out, check out Romans 8.28. It says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. You see, God uses those storms in your life. He uses them to, to mold us and make us more like his son. And that, that might sound crazy to somebody, but ever since the fall, ever since we let sin and evil into this world, God has used it to his advantage. And like a beautiful carving, like, like a beautiful carving is chiseled, we are shaped by the pain and anguish in our lives. God uses it, but sometimes, sometimes it feels too painful, doesn't it? Sometimes it's, it's just too hard to go through. But we need to remember who our God is during those times. We need to remember who he is, because David went on to write this. In the last verse he wrote, The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Though it seems like God is silent in the storm, listen, because his voice is there. He's there. He's ready to give you what, what the Bible calls a peace that passes all understanding. And I don't know about you, but to me, this is, this is personally a great comfort. Because I don't know if you know or not, but I'm actually a very socially anxious person. I think I've confessed that to somebody, but it's weird because though much of what I do is in front of everybody, most of the time I'm actually suppressing thoughts of, of anxiety and fear. Like this right now is scary business for me, okay? And just... Just Friday night, we started youth, and about a half hour before it started, I, I told Leslie, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm scared. I, I, I don't feel good. I feel like I'm going to jump out of my skin. And I recalled these words here. I recalled these words that David wrote. And, and so I went in a private room, and, and I prayed to God. I asked the God who, who gives strength to his people. I ask the God who blesses his people with peace to calm my heart. And he did. He answered. And another thing that we can take away from this passage here is, is the fact that although we let it be an afterthought, God is all-powerful. God is all-powerful. There is nothing that's not under his control. I mean, when you read this psalm, 
this ain't no budding Christ right here. It's the complete opposite. And when we encounter God for who he truly is, you know, not only are fear and reverence called for, they should be our immediate response. Think of, think of Isaiah in the throne room. Remember when he saw, he saw the king, and what did he say? He says, woe is me, I am ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Or what about Peter? We just talked about Peter a few weeks ago. What did he say when he realized exactly who Jesus was? He said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Or how about this one? In Revelation chapter 1, John has a vision of heaven. And he sees Jesus. And what he sees is almost indescribable. He says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he, hold out, he held out seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Isn't that amazing? But listen to this. That is our immediate response. But what does he tell us? Well, he tells John, then he placed his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. He blesses us with peace. It's by his grace that we cannot that we are not afraid. You know, during that storm, I thought about the power of God and just, the, just how untamable it really is. And then I thought, about, I thought about my prayer life. I thought about how dedicated my life really is to Jesus Christ. I know I'm not as dedicated as I should be. I thought, about, I thought about those days when, you know, I carry on like, like nothing's wrong. And then at the end of the day, I realize I haven't spent time with my Savior today. You know those days. And so right away, you know, I'll let this, this well-rehearsed and almost heartless prayer rattle off my lips with, with a promise that when I wake up, I'll spend time with him. You know those days. 
And then I thought, you know, what's hindering me from just completely diving into the arms of my Savior? This all-powerful, almost terrifying God welcomes me with open arms, with a loving embrace. What's stopping me from, from jumping into that? I mean, I'd love to be able to pray for hours. Like, you know, I hear stories of saints in the past that, you know, they'd get up at three in the morning and pray till, you know, six or seven. I'd love to be able to do that. But maybe that's what I'm afraid of. I don't know. Because although I've, I've given my life to Christ. My life is His. It's in His hands. But like, like a lot of you can relate, I, I tend to pull areas back from time to time. You know what I'm talking about? Where, you know, you're like, God, you can have this now, but for now I'm going to take this back. You know? And, and though I come to the realization time and time again that I can't handle it on my own and only He can, I give it back. But why do I keep doing that? I'm not satisfied with that. And I hope you're not either. The power of God in your life is an indescribable thing. If we were to allow God to have complete control, what would the result be? Think about it. Think about if, if every word that came from your lips were exactly what Christ would say. Think about if, if everything these hands did were exactly what Jesus would do. Or everywhere your feet went were where Jesus would go. Or think about this one. What if this heart loved exactly how he loved? Incredible. With man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So I just want to encourage you, this, this powerful God, let him reign in your life. Let him have control. And watch amazing things happen. Let's pray. Father God, glorious King, enthroned forever. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would, we would hear your, your voice calling to us, calling us deeper, Lord, calling us to, to abandon, to give everything over to you, the maker of the heavens and earth. Lord, your love knows no bounds. And I pray we would love exactly how you love. Lord, take these hands, take these feet, take these lips. Use them for your glory. Lord, let every thought we think be subject to Christ. In all things, be glorified. In Jesus' name.
Amen.